Well, I trust that as we have been making our way through the book of Hebrews, you have heard the word of God declaring Jesus is supreme. Jesus is better. He is above all. And to make that argument, the author has largely relied on on different comparisons between Christ and the Old Testament covenant, the old priesthood and the old sacrificial system. Not, Not to say Jesus, good, old stuff, bad, right? The old was good. The new is just better. We've seen these comparisons. The old was limited and temporary. The new is perfectly effective and eternal. The old could cleanse for a time, the new can cleanse forever. Last week in chapter 9, we saw the comparison between the blood of animals and the blood of Jesus. Right? Remember how bloody that sermon was? We saw that the blood represents life. Blood is life. So in this life and death commitment of a covenant, blood was required because life is in the blood. And and all the blood of the old covenant points to the perfect lifeblood of Jesus that was required and, and obediently offered, as we'll see today, to deal with sin. In, in chapter 10 here, the author is going to continue this line of reasoning and introduce a couple more comparisons of the work of the Levit- Levitical priest to the finished work of Christ. Uh, but here he will bring a close to those comparisons as we get a picture of Christ's humble and obedient posture in, in his self-sacrifice and what that means for our salvation and sanctification. So let's read starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect to those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So so like we've already seen, perfection was the goal of the old covenant sacrifices. To to, to be completely forgiven and, and have unrestricted communion with God. But they had to repeat these sacrifices over and over and over again. While it never accomplished that perfection. What it did do was, was constantly remind the people of their sin and their separation from God because of that sin. But their consciousness of sin could not be removed. The regular, repeated animal sacrifices were like, were like Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill only for it to tumble back down again. They, they were ultimately futile in dealing with sin completely. But as we've seen and will continue to see, With the one sacrifice of Christ, the obstacle of sin is removed and a a true way into God's presence has been secured. But, But why couldn't the sacrifices of animals accomplish this? Because we know that blood can cover sin. God made it that way. And as we read last week, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, so blood is needed, but, but verse 4 says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We saw, we saw this last week, that the blood of bulls and goats offered a, a symbolic cleansing that could not deal with the deeper reality of sin. 
We know that the human blood was required to do that. The, the animals were just, were just a substitute. So, so something better, someone better was needed to cleanse the heart from sin permanently. And so because of this, verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. He's speaking about the incarnation of Christ, okay? These verses are the voice of the incarnate son addressing the father and expressing his intention, his desire to do his father's will. So think of this as, as hearing Christ just before taking on human flesh and form. He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure, meaning, meaning they only symbolize the solution, but they could not uh, offer the solution themselves. You have not taken pleasure in them. And then I said, this is Jesus speaking again, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The son knew the will of his father and in his incarnation, the son submitted to that will. Upon coming into the world, Jesus knew that he was not being asked to continue to make the same offerings of the old covenant. Instead, God had prepared a body for Jesus, meaning that Jesus was being asked to give himself as a sacrifice to God. Now, quick aside, don't miss, don't miss it. This was a sacrifice that involved both Christ's will and his body, right? Both his mind and his flesh. And this is good news for us because we are both spiritual and physical, right? We sin in both the flesh and the mind. And the author has already spoken of the cleansing of our, consci- of our conscience, And and now in the reality of the incarnation and and the physical bodily sacrifice of Christ, we can be assured that the salvation that we have in Christ redeems our minds and our bodies, sanctifying them both for true worship of God. See, Jesus bridged the gap between heaven and earth, between spirit and and matter in a way that, that nothing else could. And so, it, so it's important and meaningful when we, when we think about things like, like baptism, that it's not just something spiritual that's happening, but also something uh, is happening to our physical bodies, right? And in, it's important and meaningful that our physical bodies take and eat and drink every week at the Lord's table. So all that to just simply say God cares about our physical bodies and, and what we do with them. He gave them to us. But continuing in looking at the obedience of Jesus here, Jesus knew what the author of Hebrews has been saying all along, that everything was pointing to him. He says, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The entire Old Testament speaks of its expected fulfillment in in the obedience of one who is to come. And he has come. Christ came. And he came to do the will of his father. And here's what's incredible. That by that will, verse 10, through Christ's obedience, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
a, a change has occurred through his obedient offering in that we have been sanctified. Now we'll come back to this idea of sanctification because it's important to see that it happened. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, but it is also happening. We are being sanctified. We are being transformed in Christ to be like Christ. And it's through the obedience of Christ to the Father's will that this sanctification is even possible. But notice that his obedience was his sacrifice, right? Jesus sacrificed his life in obedience to the Father. He said, I I know you're not ultimately pleased with, with these animal sacrifices, and so you've prepared a body for me for that purpose. Here I am to do your will. As we see in the Old Testament, wholehearted obedience is the sacrifice God truly desires. Obedience is the sacrifice that God truly desires. It's the sacrifice he received in perfection from his son when he came into the world. And it's the same sacrifice that we can offer to God because Christ, our great captain and pioneer, has gone before us in this way. The obedience of Christ makes it possible for us to obey him. We can obey God because Christ was fully obedient. And we also see Christ not only obeying, but, but desiring to do God's will, right? So, that, so then we should ask ourselves whether, whether we, as the people of God, also delight in the things that Christ delights in. Because loving someone means that we learn to delight in the things that they delight in, yes? Any married person in the room could speak to this reality, right? Some may have had to learn the hard way. Some of us are slow learners. But, but we do, we learn to delight in the same things as the one that we love. So if we say we love Christ, well, Christ delights in his church. So much so that he died for her. Do we also delight in the church? Are we committed to the bride of Christ? Christ delights in truth. He calls himself the truth. Do we delight in the truth or or are we more concerned with winning an argument or or passing along some juicy gossip? Christ delights in obedience to the Father's will. Do we also delight in being obedient to God no matter what it might cost us? This was a very real question and reality for those early Christians. Obedience to God might actually cost them everything. And someday that may be a reality for us as well. So we learn to share in Christ's delight as we are sanctified through him in obedience to God. We learn to share in Christ's delight as we are sanctified through him in obedience to God. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at, the, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
So we can see here kind of a, a, a microcosm of contrast, right? Some of, some of which we've already seen, the many priests versus Christ as our one high priest. Many sacrifices versus the one sacrifice of Jesus. Repeated offerings, one offering for all time, right? And then one you may have missed. Notice that verse 11, every priest stands daily. But when Christ made his single sacrifice, he, verse 12, sat down at the right hand of God. Standing represents work. And here specifically, the continual need for the work of sacrificial ministry under the law. See, no, no Levitical priest ever sat in Israel's earthly sanctuary. They stood in their, in their work that was never complete. Christ's work is truly complete. The sacrifice of himself for sin is perfect and complete, final. There will never be another sacrifice for sins ever. His was perfect. And therefore, he entered into his rest and sat down. This brings up something practical for us in our worship. I wonder if you've ever been curious as to why we sit for communion. And it's, it's really very intentional in that we are following Christ's example in, in glorified state and posture. Right? When we come to the table in our time together, we too have entered into the heavenly sanctuary because of the access that Jesus has made available to us. And we too sit down, having entered his rest. And a meal is shared, right? In general, when you share a meal with someone, you don't naturally stand. You sit and rest and enjoy the company of those you're with and receive what's been provided for you. So we sit and share with Christ and one another in his rest and in what he has provided. And we can do that in the heavenly places in, in the presence of God, because, verse 14, because by a single offering, by, by the perfect obedience of will and body and blood that was required by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is incredible. And here we've come back to sanctification. We are, by his sacrifice, perfected for all time. And we are also, by his sacrifice, being sanctified. One is, is momentary and complete. One is ongoing and not yet complete. You have been perfected. You have been completely forgiven once for all and saved from your sin. You can have the assurance that you stand perfected, completed, cleansed, and whole in the eyes of your heavenly Father. Jesus did not leave heaven in obedience and take on human flesh to suffer and die and rise and rule in order to put a dab of Neosporin and a band-aid on the festering wound of our sin. No, he came to heal completely. This is the beauty of the gospel. Sin is dealt with. Remember what the angel told Joseph. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. John the Baptist declared, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus is not intent on only saving us from the legal consequences of our sin, but from our sins. That is the desire, from our very desire to sin. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are not a slave to sin, to its will. You have been bought, washed, adopted, cleansed, You are freed. You have been perfected. And you are being sanctified, which which both states of being together give us the freedom to move by faith toward more and more holiness. This is sanctification. Sanctification trains us to desire and to live into all that is good and true and beautiful, all that Christ is and desires. It trains us to be more like him. Which means that everything should be up for grabs for the Holy Spirit to do work in us, right? Our time commitments might need rearranging. We should allow for our financial commitments to be tested. Our loves should be reordered and our goals in life should get shuffled around. Not because we need to earn anything by our own work, but because Christ has done all the work. And now we are called by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow into becoming what we already are in Christ. We participate in Christ. We must continue to participate in Christ, growing into his fullness. And as a reminder, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians, plural, to the church, not to an individual. So while it's important to know and understand that, that you have been perfected and you are being sanctified, it's also imperative that we, we remember that we, we are being sanctified as the body and bride of Christ. So that means that we get to share in our sanctification with one another. This process of God working in us to make us more like Christ is is often difficult and painful and confusing. But since we are all being sanctified, we can join with one another, encouraging one another and exhorting one another, lifting each other up as we move toward more and more holiness. So let's let one another do that to one another. Be honest, be vulnerable, be encouraging. Let yourself be encouraged. Welcome each other into this sanctification. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and this is from Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The prophet Jeremiah looked forward to to the day when the people of God would be in a state of of completeness. When when they would be in, in right relationship with God, when their, their sins would be forgiven, when they'd be cleansed and freed and, and empowered to do what they were created to do, to enjoy fellowship with God as the people of God. And according to the author here, 
that day has dawned in Jesus. The second half of this chapter gets into how we are to live in light of all this, but I'll just say this. We should be bold to live like this is true because it is. Christ in his obedience to the Father's will has offered himself as the perfect sacrifice and dealt with sin once for all. Live like this is true. Don't live as if sin is your master. Don't give in to your lusts and your lying and your fear of man and your bitterness and your greed. Don't give in. Fight. Fight because God has given you his word that he has perfected and is sanctifying you. You are forgiven and counted righteous. You are cleansed. So be clean. Not to make God love you more, but because he has loved you and has given his spirit to you already. Let us rejoice and be glad in that. Isaiah 44 from our readings says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Let us sing and rejoice with all creation. He has done it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your life-giving word. And that it declares the good news of Christ coming and dealing with sin so that we can be made complete and whole and forgiven forever for your glory. Help us grow in the likeness of your son. Help us submit to the sanctification of your Holy Spirit, knowing that even though it can be hard, it is good work with good eternal fruit. And help us enter into that work together. We can only do this by your goodness and grace. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.